I geek out about semiconductors. I geek out about Polaroids. I geek out about travel. Hi, and welcome to She Geeks Out, a podcast where we geek out about all the things. I'm Rachel. And I'm Felicia. Good morning, Felicia. Good morning, Rachel. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm um, I'm still early here. Yeah. For well, me. you're an early bird, so that's okay. Yeah, it's been really weird. The sleeping has been really off for me. This has been this is like our third week, and I'm still. I took like an leave p.m. at like nine. <laughs> and I woke up. <laughs> I woke up at like six ten. Oh God! <laughs> I know. Usually, I mean, it's an eight-hour thing, so I don't know what's going on. It's crazy. I think it's because I'm spending more time outdoors, and I feel like the body just like it gets that nice tired from outdoors. I probably don't need the Aleve PM, but I do it just in case, so I don't wake up in the middle of the night. Anyway, that's how I'm doing. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, it snowed overnight, so that. <gasps> That was honestly, I woke up and I was like, what is this bullshit? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay, granted, it was not very much. It was just a light coating. But yeah, it was not not exciting to to look at that. Oh, yeah, the weather's been crazy. You survived the bomb cyclone number two. Yeah, I have to tell you. So I feel like I was not adequately mentally or physically prepared for this (laughs) experience. (laughs) Um, And really, I knew that it was supposed to rain on Friday. And that was kind of it. And then someone I was on a business call, like a sales call with somebody on Thursday. And she was like, I'm flying into Boston on Friday. And I'm really scared. And I was like, why? And then (laughs) and then like nor'easter, like once in a once in a century storm hit us and I do not feel like I had prepared enough for it. Did you just but completely ignore the news? I don't feel like the news was talking about it. Uh, I'm going to have to politely push back on this. The news was pretty on top of this. <laughs> the warnings. <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, my news sources. <laughs> there we go. The, Jezebel probably didn't cover it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Use Twitter. So Twitter, I don't know what your deal was. They were <laughs> concerned with other issues. But <laughs> anywho, um, yeah, no, I mean, it was really, it was fine. It was just very, very dramatic, horrible weather. And I had a bunch, I planned a bunch of coffee meetings for Friday morning and that was not ideal and basically got totally soaked because I decided to walk 10 minutes from one coffee shop to the next. And that was really bad. And nobody else canceled. No one canceled. Amazingly. That's really surprising. Surprising. Um, yeah, I mean, it basically, so normally I would have biked because my first meeting was in Kendall Square, which is not too far from where I live, but I did not bike. I took the bus and it took me over an hour to get to Kendall Square. So I had these grand ideas of like getting to the coffee shop early and relaxing and working and, you know, doing a very like movie montage scene of like eating a delicious breakfast and working on my computer. I saw the Instagram and- photo. It was lovely. 
it did kind of work, but I got there like <laughs> 10 minutes before the meeting started. But luckily, my person who I was meeting was 10 minutes late. So it worked out just fine. <laughs> yeah, then I was like, oh, um, my next meeting is down the street. How bad could it be? I should have lifted over, but I walked. It was a bad idea. <laughs> I, lifted to the, I basically like took lifts the entire weekend. But what I wanted to say was, so I got home and I was kind of scared because... <laughs> I literally was on a phone call at the end of the day on Friday for an hour. And when I finished, I had like 10 text messages on my phone from my, uh, from my Georgetown teammates, uh, my former Georgetown teammates. And they were really concerned about me because they hadn't Aww. heard from me. And I was, I felt really guilty because I was like, oh no, like they're so worried about me. And here I am just like being like, oh, it's so rainy. <laughs> and, uh, so then I got worried because I was like, oh, I don't know. Is my house going to be okay? Because actually I didn't realize it was going to be so crazy. So I got home and <laughs> one of my porch windows had blown right out of the socket, like the frame. And it was lying in the porch. Oh, my God. And rain coming in and the wind was howling through the porch. And it was so crazy that my screen door the top part popped out as well because the wind popped it out. So here I am at like 6.30 p.m. on a Friday night and I'm trying to pop a window back in the frame. Was it successful? Well, uh, yes and no. Uh, <laughs> it was it was sort of successful, except I popped the window in the wrong way. So mm -hmm. I have to re-pop it out and pop it back in later. And it was so windy that I had to duct tape the window into the frame. Oh, magical duct tape. Oh my god, it was not it was not fun. Um yeah, it was so basically that 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 whole process took me like 2 hours. <laughs> oh, brutal. Was JLP just like watching you from the wind from like no, the window inside? So annoying. He really he really likes my back porch. He's a porch cat, hashtag porch cat. And so anytime I open the back door, he wants to go out into the porch. And then what he likes to do is he likes to go down the back staircase and say hi to my downstairs neighbors because they have cats and they sometimes take care of him and he likes them a lot. But it's really annoying because I can't just like leave the door open because he'll sneak out. And then he knows that he's being bad. So he'll give me a look and then he runs down the stairs. <laughs> And so I was having a lot of issues because I was shutting the door behind me because he kept trying to sneak out. And for and anyone who's a new listener, by the way, and for anyone who's a new listener, Felicia is talking about her cat. In yeah, case she's yeah. in not, case not a human being. Yeah. A <laughs> um, <laughs> but the problem was that it was so windy that my door was opening on its own because the latch was not strong enough. Oh, it was such an ordeal. But anyway, you survived. Survive, but literally I was like god damn it this is why I need a boyfriend oh my gosh <laughs> oh my hold god. the door shut fail the Bechdel test all right there we go <laughs> roommate or roommate but yeah anyway <laughs> or a girlfriend or a girlfriend or yeah I need a a, a body jeez <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was my weekend. <laughs> well, that sounds very exciting and dramatic. How was your weekend? Hopefully less dramatic than mine. It was definitely less dramatic. It was, it's the last weekend um, of being in San Diego. San Diego is a dream. I don't understand why everyone on the planet doesn't live here. I don't understand why I don't live here. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, it's our last weekend and we tried to do all the things that we hadn't done so far. So, but we continued to hit the farmer's market because that place is amazing. We um, went on the ferry to Coronado Island, which isn't really an island. It's actually a peninsula, but okay. it's much easier. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, it's much easier to get to by ferry because there, it is connected to the mainland, but only from a man-made strip, which I learned about. So it was basically was filled in much like the way Boston was filled in. Um, and then we went to this place called Liberty Market, which is this really cool public market. It's got all these like fun restaurant, like not restaurants, but like you know, sort of like food stands all inside and stuff. And did that and um, just, you know, last night watched a little bit of the Oscars. Um, very wonderfully, happily surprised about Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was wonderful to see um, that he won for, I think it was best writing of an original screenplay. Yes. Yeah, so that was very, very, very cool. And yeah. And you know what else the other great thing is about being on the West Coast? What? I could watch the Oscars and go to bed at a reasonable time. Well, I did too. I just like to go to bed later. Than That's true. It's not a reasonable time for my world. Um, <laughs> did you watch it to the end? No, I went to I went to bed early because I'm so I'm reading. I'm trying to read more, and yes, I am reading Fire and Fury. <laughs> oh my god, you're reading that before bed? Oh, it's it's a uh, it's my bedtime. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm reading, I'm reading the Anna Yen book. Um, my God, I can't remember the name of it. It's terrible, but we're going to actually have her on. Um, and it's really fun. Actually, it's a really nice, fun read. I'm enjoying it very much. So Sophia of Silicon Valley coming out April 10th. um, How to download it still. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little tricky. Do not make it easy. No, it's a little tricky. (laughs) They, the DRM is locked in. Um, yeah, but that's, that's a way. I feel like that's a way healthier read than Fire and Fury, personally. I am enjoying <laughs> my reading very much. Good. Thank you. Look, Thank you very much. <laughs> if you're able to sleep, then more power to you. <laughs> I am. Good. I very well. <laughs> Good. Good. I'm glad. I, like, I don't know why. I just, I feel like it sort of um, alleviates my anxiety a little bit. I don't know. It's a very weird, sick, twisted relationship I have with this book right now. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, it's funny that that's one of the nice things too about being in San Diego is people don't really talk about politics the way they do in Boston. It's just like, it's just not a real like hot topic here. People are just like, not interested. Let's talk about the cold snap, how it's gone down to 60 degrees here. And, um, you know, what the traffic is like, uh, and then like movies and TV shows and like lives and stuff. It's very different than like getting into all the politics that I normally get into in Boston. So it's been like a nice kind of brain break. I'm still catching, you know, I'm still caught up on all the insanity because of the news, but, um, it's nice to not be focused on it like 24 seven. It's very, don't worry. I will update you. Great. Assuming Assuming that Twitter updates me. <laughs> oh, no, I'm totally caught up on the news and all the crazy that's happening in the news, for sure. It's just like my brain is more on Instagram than it is on Facebook. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah, I get that. Back in a way, back in a way. Um, still very much in it. And also, you know what? It's nice focusing on work, which I know you are too. You are like killing the work. So um, <laughs> I'm like 
laughing so hard to myself right now because I just can't believe you just said it's so nice to focus on work. I feel like all we do is focus on work. <laughs> but the, I just feel like the other part of my brain ends up going to like politics. And instead, the other part of my brain is going to other things. And okay. so that's what's nice about it. And I feel like I can focus the import, like I put so much, um, focus on like what's happening in the world and it's and then on then to do that and feel all that stress and then do the work that we do and then feel like that stress whatever you know I mean just the stress of the work and just keeping up with everything and um and so it's been kind of nice being like okay I've got the work and I feel like what we're doing is really important to moving the conversation forward um and making the world a better place um and then I can focus on this other stuff and yes I'm still caught up on the news but it's not it's not it's I feel like it's not weakening my resolve I guess for really working on the the other stuff that's me personally Okay. That's yeah, I guess. I mean, it's funny because on Friday, I was like, thinking about my weekend ahead. And I told one of my friends that I was so excited to work on the weekend. <laughs> Which, you know, is, uh, is not a thing that I used to say, but I did spend a good like, maybe five hours of on Saturday working and a couple hours on Sunday. And the main thing was that I had this vision, this fantasy, shall we, that I was going to go wake up in the morning on Saturday, go to my local coffee shop, have breakfast there, and then work. Like, again, I basically, I think the takeaway is that I want to live my life as a movie montage. (laughs) (laughs) And that did not end up happening. And what ended up happening was I went to the gym instead and I ran for five miles on Saturday, which... Yeah, you did. Gross. And then um, I got home and I sat on Twitter for a couple hours and then I took a shower. And then I was like, okay, I really have to make this movie situation happen. But I ended up just working in my in my bedroom. So. I think that's totally fine. That is totally fine. Um, but mm. speaking of work, because I think we're both very happy about our work um, and we love yeah. it. Um, yeah. Our guest, our podcast guest, Mary Sharon Owens. Yeah. She is all I about mean, put, pushing the conversation forward, and she's was a real inspiration in talking with her. I felt very motivated after our conversation, and you know, just co- dealing with a lot of um, you know what's going on right now. We talked a little bit about times up. We talked about me too. We talked about um, how important it is these, these conversations um, around gender in the workplace and how you know, her, one of her goals is to push that conversation forward. And so it was really just very inspiring because she was doing it from such a positive place. So it was very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can get, sometimes people can sort of go to the negative or get run down, but she was very inspiring. So yeah. hopefully they're inspired too. Yeah. Well, hello. Hi. Hello. Hi, this is Rachel. And this is Felicia. <laughs> and we are here with Mary Sharon Owens. Hi, Mary Sharon. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Rachel and Felicia. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So yes. Welcome to our, our virtual space. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> this is the way that business is conducted so these days, so I love it. This is good. We live in yeah. the future. Uh, Mary Sharon, you are a global business executive at RGA, and you're the, also the co-founder and positive psychology uh, consultant at Artistic Executive. I cannot wait to learn more, but we, f- we will learn more about those. Mm-hmm. But the first thing we want to do, we want to get into the journey. 
How, how did you do this? How did you get to where you are today? Answer it however you feel comfortable. However I feel comfortable. Okay. Well, um, I'm originally from Minnesota and I share that because I've kind of lived on both coasts and I'm originally from the Midwest. And so went to school in Boston, loved it, loved the diversity of people, experiences, just being in a totally different culture than when I grew up in. Um, and then I kind of started gravitating toward tech and startups um, while I was at Northeastern University. So in the School of Business, they have a mandatory co-op program. And so you had to spend six months out of every year working in your field. And so it was amazing because I had a co-op in traditional accounting, and then I had a co-op at a startup in San Francisco, and then I had my last co-op at Microsoft, which led me into kind of the world of high tech and in Seattle, um, kind of back in the Bill Gates era. Mm -hmm. And it was a great experience. I loved being at a high tech company. I loved being in startups. It's a little different than some of the more established product teams because essentially you had a time limit and you had an objective and you had a budget. Mm. And if you blew the time or the budget, um, then you ended up getting riffed and you had to find a new job, which is great, but no one's going to hire you into the next startup if you failed at your previous startup. And the reason I share that as part of my, part of my journey is because it really shaped the way that I learned to lead over time. And I think it shaped the way that I collaborate with people because at the end of the day, it has to work. Mm. And there's something really magical about that. Like regardless of who you're working with, regardless of where they come from and how different you all are, it has to work. And so I kept seeing over and over in my career that, you know, you could get people from brilliant schools, like fellows, you know, at like brilliant technology schools, you know, PhDs in computer science from like the top schools and the wheels could come flying off the bus and the whole thing would fail. And then you could get someone who dropped out of school in eighth grade, a religious studies major, someone who is a graphic designer by trade in the room. And we would like, we would completely break records. Mm. And I kept seeing this over and over again. And I was trying to figure out like what it was. And there were two things that it came down to every time that it worked. And one was that we had an unwavering belief in success just across mm. the board. And two was that we had an unconditional love for each other. Mm. So we called each other out. We supported each other. We loved who each other were as human beings. And it got personal. And I kept seeing this over and over again. I didn't really have a language for it. But that's really what drove me to get my master's in positive psychology mm -hmm. from Penn. Because I wanted to understand what I was seeing mm -hmm. and why I kept working. Um, when all the variables in place didn't seem like the typical variables you'd read about in a, like a success book on business. And so it was a brilliant experience because by learning kind of from Wharton professors and in the School of Arts and Sciences, what positive psychology means, it really is about the science of building. And it is how do you get people to come together from very diverse perspectives to build something new that's never been done before? And how do you get people to become more creative in the sense of like really transcending ideas and kind of getting out from their frameworks and getting out from their egos and really coming together to build something? So mm -hmm. I kind of learned a lot about that, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more about it later, but that's when I kind of transcended into the creative world um, at Target. I was in Target's creative studio um, for several years, and that was just a really eye-opening experience because I had come from high tech where everything is quant and everything can be at some level measured, and success is like you turn on the lights and either it works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't work, then you fail. It's very, very straightforward. And I think in the world of creative and in advertising and marketing, it's a little more subjective in certain areas. And so that was uncomfortable for me for a while. I had to kind of really get, I had to embrace the white space as they say. Um, and so that was a fun part of the journey. And then as I kind of kept going, I gravitated towards business strategy, digital business strategy, um, marketing, and now here at RGA where I'm leading um, business transformation consulting, which is kind of like at the perfect intersection of like traditional marketing, 
corporate kind of business strategy, engineering, and creative. And mm. so it's kind of a place where I'm flourishing. I'm very happy to be here. Oh my God, that was so well done. Can I just say, we ask this question all the time and we, we, you know, we get varieties of answers, but I will have to I have to say that might be like the most concise and complete answer. So I think you win. Um, a lot of jobs. Maybe that's what it is. I've told this story before. (laughs) We can tell, we can tell. Well, you know, it's really interesting, the idea of um, positive psychology, because, you know, as you were talking about it, all I could think of was like, you know, the book, The Art of War. Yeah. You know, it's like the polar opposite. It sounds like what the experience is and what you're, what positive psychology is in creating these environments that are not about just like, you know, being so aggressive and being so, you know, about, you know, winning. It's more about everyone really working together and finding um, commonalities and teamwork. And I love that. Yeah, there's a phrase that my friend um, Soma uses. I think she got it from her parents and it was achieve, don't compete. Mm. Love that phrase because I am I am by nature very competitive. I, I, you know, I love being in sports growing up. My dad was an executive at IBM. I, I was very much raised with kind of like business is war mentality and sports is war. But at the end of the day, like I'm not really motivated by taking someone else out. Mm. I'm more motivated by saying like, well, what did we do before? And what can we do again? That would just be like completely earth shattering and be totally different. So I'm all about broadening and building and growing, but not at the expense of others. And I think that's kind of the nuance that you don't always see in business um, mm-hmm. that I think is particularly crucial when you think about innovation. Right on. Um, because if you're going to hide behind your frameworks and your buzzwords and your PowerPoint decks, you're never going to be able to get out in front and do something that's completely different. And so how do you leverage positive psychology to actually embrace more of that growth mindset and get confident in that, um, knowing that you won't always know where you're going. Mm. If that makes sense. It totally does. Yeah. So I have a question about positive psychology versus just regular psychology, because I feel like most people I'm assuming do not have, or I should say have not heard about positive psychology. So how did you come to find out about it in order to actually go and, and get your master's in this? Um, I actually found out about it through a friend um, and I had gotten accepted into business to a very prestigious business school in London. And that's what I was going to do because that's what all my friends were doing. You know, you kind of, you go work at Microsoft, you hit your late twenties, everyone goes to the, to the brilliant business schools and you just keep going. And when I was reading about the program, it really stood out to me at this time I had gone over to the R and D center at Microsoft and we were one of the first startups in Boston. Our first uh, geographic location is actually like a brownstone on Meltzer Street. Like the servers almost fell through the floor. So this was like <laughs> very gritty, very pre-Kendall Square kind of sexy R&D center. And so I was working with these like really amazing people that were very creative and very different um, and not necessarily like the cookie cutter kids that I was hanging out with, had graduated with, was going to go to business school with. And so I was more open, I think, to trying something that was different. And when I was reading about the program at Penn, it just felt like a calling. Like it felt like they were talking about the things that I was seeing that I didn't have a language for and things that were counterintuitive. You know, the idea of being vulnerable uh, is not something that I was definitely, that I was in support of in business. The idea that confidence comes from vulnerability didn't make sense to me, but everyone was talking about it and I kind of kept seeing it. So I was like, well, what is that? And so I really felt like if I wanted to be successful in business, I had to understand How do people come together and build? And the premise of positive psychology is it's about the science of what is right with you and how do you get more of what is right 
it is not about focusing on what is wrong with you and trying to fix what's wrong. Mm. And as I started to think about that in different paradigms, like even when you, you know, you would host like a typical strategy session. So for those of us who have done like strategy workshops, it is so easy for us to, as humans say, well, this is what's wrong with the company and we got to fix this. And it's a really myopic, small way of looking at a long range strategy. Whereas if you said, well, here's what we're awesome at. And here's kind of like our collective strengths as a company, not just like what we build as products, but if we were to describe our company and character strengths, like capacity for kindness, wisdom, bravery, creativity, like things that as human beings we can value. If we started to shape our persona that way, we looked at the future and said, well, this is what we want. I guarantee you, you can figure out how to get there. Mm. Whereas if you're focusing on what's broken, you're going to get like such a small output from it. So as I started reading about positive psychology, that felt really compelling to me because I wanted to do things that were bigger and better. I didn't just want to fix what was broken. I love that. I want to, I want to ask like, how do companies do this? But before I get to that, you mentioned growth mindset and it's something that we talk about, but I would love to guide I'm sure there are people that are listening that don't know what growth mindset is. So can you explain what that is as well? Um, I can actually the, the best person I think to read up on is Carol Dweck. Um, her work obviously at Stanford. I actually read her book before I went to Penn, but it's essentially this idea that, you know, you can get only so far with a fixed mindset and a fixed mindset is um, particularly challenging for students who have been like top students growing up. You know, you always got straight A's, you were, you know, varsity in your sophomore year in high school and you did everything right. And then all of a sudden you get into the real world and you're so, uh, you're more focused now on maintaining this belief that everything that you do is right. And you start to get really fragile versus people who have a growth mindset, which is kind of like your career and your trajectory is more like this. Like you're trying new things and you're trying, you're kind of going after what you want, not necessarily what you think you deserve, or mm-hmm. you're not more focused on like, well, gosh, I hope I get an A. It's more like, well, I would love to do this. And as a result, I might get an A, but that's not really the point. And mm-hmm. so the way that I translate growth mindset is it's more about like going through these experiences in life, treating them all kind of as learning experiences, conditioning exercises, opportunities to observe. And the more diverse experiences you have, the more you learn about yourself. Um, what makes you great, what you're challenged with. And so you kind of, the more you learn about yourself, confidence, I think, starts to come from that knowledge. So I think so often we think about confidence coming from like your degree or you've been in a certain job role for a couple of years. And so you're, you're good at it. I've done this for three years. So I am now a product manager. Whereas that's a, that's a really fragile place to be operating from, right? Because someone can always take away your title. They can always take away your job. Um, we live in a humbling economy for everyone right now. And so if your confidence comes from the fact that you know that you've got these like signature character strengths, you're leading with bravery, you're leading with wisdom, capacity for kindness, and you've got this skill set that's really diverse, and you're not quite sure where it's going to take you, but you know that you've got some things that are very unique to you, mm-hmm. that's kind of how you can start to grow forward because no one can really take that away from you. So to me, it's there's a lot more to the science, but I see it almost as having like a very fragile way of living where you're focused more on how people are defining you versus a really exciting way of living, which is like, well, gosh, I have these things that are really unique and you do too. And that's cool. Cause what if we did something together? And oh my God, like, it's like, you're focusing on a completely different thing, which will naturally make you grow up out of something versus just try to be something that's already been defined. I don't know if Carol agrees, but that's how I would define it. Wow. I think it's very well said. <laughs> yeah. And it leads perfectly into our next question. Um, and also just like PS you're hired like would hire you in a heartbeat. Um, and thank you. Yeah, no. And it goes right into, so 
so RGA does, you know, advertising marketing. The ad industry is known to not give a lot of free time to their employees. So this is why this is so amazing to me that you are actually, you have something called the artistic executive um, consultancy. So I would love to hear more about what that is and how you have time to do it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'll be, I'll be candid is definitely does not get as much time as my time. At RGA. <laughs> boss is listening. I'm like, don't worry, don't worry, Sunil. Um, <laughs> it really artistic executive emerged actually out of, um, the background that I've been talking about. So a colleague of mine and a good friend, um, from way back in like 2012, he had started his career at IBM. I started my career at Microsoft and we both had kind of started, we both kind of moved into the world of like multi-channel and omni-channel, like when it first hit. And so it was like the first time that we, it was almost like comedy, right? For the first time you're sitting at a round table with like marketing and sales and product management, but you also have developers, you have heads of engineering, heads of creative, heads of advertising, people who traditionally had not been in the same rooms with each other. And a lot of these people were like elitists in their own domain. I mean, it was, I mean, I'm, I'm making humor out of this for fun, but it's like, you've got someone who's like, well, of course I'm cool. I'm an executive creative director. Like I literally know it's cool because I define it. And then you've got someone who's like, yeah, but if your website doesn't work, no one gives a damn, you know? And so you had these people that really were coming together and having to work together in completely different ways and having to really respect each other's discipline. And that's hard. Cause then you've got like, you know, the MBA from corporate strategy coming in. Who's like, well, I'm here to tell you all everything. And and of course, it's not how it always is, but you had a lot of these almost like caricatures of personas coming together. And so we were giving talks on this and then maybe started getting asked to continue to give talks on this. Um, and we would meet with heads of IT and new digital officers and marketing officers. And the whole point of artistic executive was to give people a common language, mm. to poke fun kind of at the absurdity that was this entire situation, because it, it is funny. Like at the end of the day, everyone was doing so well in their domains. And then all of a sudden it was like the world got disrupted across the board, the entire context changed and everyone was having to embrace change um, for the first time. And that's really hard when you've been a rock star for 20 years and you've been doing it right. And all of a sudden you have this person with another role that you either have to be friends with and collaborate with, or they may take your job and you're not really sure. So that's really how it started. So I still do it on the side because I'm still a coach. Um, and so most of my work with artistic executive now has taken a step back from the workshops and it's more of the individual coaching for executives on how do you actually leverage positive psychology, grit, emotional intelligence, humor in understanding that when you're going into these conversations, the strength that you have, again, comes not from your title, not from being fragile. It comes from knowing what makes you awesome. And as, and as an individual, as a human, that's your plan B. So when you're going into these situations and you're afraid of a new framework or you're afraid that you're going to lose political capital by taking a risk, know that like what got you here will actually get you there. It's just the, the way that you think about what you have is different. It's not your title. It's not your LinkedIn. It's who you are as a human being and as a leader. That's what's going to get you through this. So a lot of it now is more individual coaching. Love it. I know. I'm like, when do I sign up? I know. Fish and I are like, I know we're thinking the same thing. <laughs> I'm glad it's valuable. I'm glad at least a few of the things that I'm saying are somewhat insightful. Oh my gosh. Thank For you. Sure. Well, so let's switch a little bit to talk about, um, you know, what's going on right now. So it's 2018. We're seeing that women in general are, you know, more empowered to be able to speak up than ever. But what are some of the things that you're working on? And you're doing a lot in this area, I know. But can you share with us um, some of the things that you're working on? to ensure that women's voices can continue to be heard? 
I mean, yeah, it's it's an incredibly challenging time, I think, for a lot of us. It's also a very inspiring time. Um, you know, I think that for especially for my generation, this is a movement that we probably have never experienced before on this scale. And I think with with a level of urgency that I have I have certainly not experienced personally up until now. Um, so I think, yes, I'm really inspired by women who are using their platforms to drive change and to speak up because I know having been an executive at Fortune 50, Fortune 10 companies, it's not easy to do that. Um, it's actually very risky to speak up um, when you are of a certain level of leadership as a woman in this climate. And so I'm really inspired by the women that are continuing to do that. And I'm very personally involved with Women in Innovation, with Time's Up, um, with Out in Tech. Um, and so I'm involved in a lot of different affinity groups right now. And I think what's what's most exciting about it is that I think there's a general acceptance that intersectionality this time around is what's going to get us beyond. And I think that's why I'm most, I mean, I'm, I'm the ally in chief for Out in Tech. Um, that's what we joke about. But I want to bring like times up to out in tech and I want to talk about women innovation as it relates to women who aren't always seen as being innovative in the media. And I want to bring the big names together with the everyday people. Cause I think so often, at least in the world of women issues for many years, I think the conversation was dominated by women who have like had the fortune and certainly have the fortitude and the wisdom to be in these very high profile positions. But I think, it was a thing for me, especially being in high tech, like when I worked in high tech, my experience was very different than I worked in different corporations. And so I think I couldn't just say like, well, I worked in this couple of tech companies and this is how it is for all women. Because if you work at a corporation that has this kind of like institutionalized paradigm around all the isms and has for a hundred years, your experience is very different from mine. Mm -hmm. And so I think what I'm excited about now is that everyone is starting to speak up. Everyone is feeling compelled to blog or to join podcasts or to go onto social media um, and just speak their truth. Because I think that truth is really empowering because the more women we have speaking, the more you realize it's all of us that are seeing this. It's not just me. It's not just someone over there in this different paradigm. Um, it's just, I think it's a very comforting time. So yeah, we're all just kind of coming together, I think for the first time and, and it feels kind of like a revolution and, and it's not just women, right? I'm seeing a lot of men step up as well and say, this is just fundamentally not okay. And this yeah. is a civil rights matter. This is not a women's rights matter. So intersectionality is what I'm most excited about, I think, for this movement. So what are the things, um, so you mentioned a bunch of the different groups that you're involved in. So um, what are some some actions that are being taken in these in these different groups and beyond? Um, I know for like the Times Up movement, as everyone knows, right, there's a lot happening within media and Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And we're starting to see Times Up advertising, which I'm a member of. Um, we just launched a campaign this past week called We Are Unstoppable. And it's just been amazing to see the support that we've gotten and to see people jumping on that bandwagon, even if it's on social, if it's on Instagram. But I'm also seeing a lot of corporate executives reaching out to me on the side saying, how can I help and make this more programmatic? Mm -hmm. um, I'm seeing companies reach out to say, I hear you guys are doing something with a curriculum. How can we help you with bots, AI, virtual reality, advertising? Like we're starting to see people from, again, the corporate sphere, as well as individuals coming together to say, let's actually turn these things into tangible movements. Okay. So I think the time's up is very timely. I think just the word itself, that's kind of the feeling that most of us have, like enough. Time's up, enough. I've got to do something. You've got to do something. We've all got to do something. So I think what's exciting about these movements is that I got involved with Time's Up through a friend of mine who's in Time's Up Tech in the Bay Area. And then I got involved with Time's Up NYC, which kicked off a couple of weeks ago. And we're, we're reshaping what that's going to look like. 
And again, what's exciting about these movements is that as they kind of emerge in these different cities, a lot of these cities are known for different things. So New York is known more for like advertising, fashion, film. There's a lot here that's happening that isn't necessarily happening in other cities. Whereas you look at the Bay Area and Times Up Tech, it just feels like that's exactly where it belongs, right? Mm -hmm. So I think what's exciting is that everyone is taking this as their own and they're building on top of it. But a lot of us are also closely connected. Mm -hmm. And so I really believe that that's what's going to make this something different um, than it was before. Yeah. I think it's so exciting and it's so needed because it's so easy to just say, okay, well, we're going to have an event or we're going to run an ad campaign. Um, and then like, great, we did it. Everything's fixed. But, you know, have this, having this be sustainable, um, and, and have it and have some real concrete actions. And I, and not that there's anything wrong with having events, by the way, or, or campaigns. Those are obviously supporting. To your point, right? Yes. And it's a very effective channel, but I think that's what's exciting is that you have, I've worked in advertising marketing. I'm very aware that certain channels are appropriate for certain messages and certain audiences and different channels are far more effective for others. And the goal for any campaign, right, is to find people where they are and to deliver the message that's going to desire, that's going to prompt some type of desired behavioral change. Mm. That's what we're trying to do. And so the more smart, intelligent women that we have applying our corporate skills to this movement, the more powerful that it will be. And I think, you know, yeah, events are great, but they're also, they can also be very um, exclusive. Mm. And so I think by making it broader, by getting more people involved, by applying digital tech, media, creative to it, you're going to start to see more and more people get involved because there will be a greater sense of authentic belonging to it. Yeah. So it's exciting. I think yeah. so. And we all know that like media, my God, how influential is that? Just period anyway. So sorry, Felicia. Done right. Absolutely. And that's exciting. Like, we know how to do it right. Yeah. We do for things, so yeah. <laughs> Fun. Yeah, so I want to touch, um, you brought this idea up in one of your previous comments, this idea or the concept around being an ally, because I think that as we are seeing these movements emerging and growing, I, and you mentioned also intersectionality, so one of the things is that, you know, it can't just be one group of people, otherwise it's doomed to fail. So I know that, um, I think on one of your websites, you mentioned that you are an ally, you mentioned your sort of humorous title, um, she's <laughs> or whatever it was. So I'm curious what being an ally means to you. Um, it, and it's, I'm glad you asked because it is something that is so important to me as a person. And I'm so inspired when I see other people, what it means to me is like, um, yes, I'm a woman and I'm of color and I certainly know, and I grew up in Minnesota where most people do not look like me. And so I certainly know what it's like to sit outside of the wolf pack and not be invited. And I know what it's like to be standing outside of a system and know that that system is not designed for me, but I still have to go into that system and somehow make it work. So I have to pay my bills. So I understand how challenging that can be and how well overwhelming that can be just being a minority in general. But what I don't know is what it's like to be in a coffee room getting tea and having a guy ask me, you know, if I'm really bisexual, like I can't even imagine what that would do to my day. And I face a lot of microaggressions through the day, being a woman of color and people saying stupid things. But to have my sexuality constantly be a point of conversation in arenas where it's not appropriate and where also you don't know what they're going to do with that information because these people are typically not informed, like that's a special kind of pressure that I don't understand. And so, cause I don't live it every day. And so what's important to me is to, as an ally, you listen and then it's like, I can have, I have the platform and I have the voice and I have the ability to potentially take that knowledge into conversations where you're not there. And I'm able to say these things on your behalf 
And so I'm not speaking to either of you, you know, directly. I'm just saying in general, I think being an ally is about lifting some of the burden off other people and saying, I got this, I can do this. I'm going to speak on your behalf. I'm willing to be the one to have the awkward moment. Mm. I'm willing to be uncomfortable so that you don't always have to be uncomfortable. I'm willing to be uncomfortable a few times in my day. And I'm willing to go out in the skinny branch every now and then um, so that you don't always have to be doing it. And so I think that's what being an ally is all about. Is It's about listening it's about translating that into your own experiences and then sharing that with the world so that people hear about it in unexpected venues. You know, I think a lot of people would be surprised, like when I make comments, especially when it's about, you know, out in tech or the trans tech community, um, which I'm, I'm heavily involved in, um, no one's expecting that to come from me typically. So when it does, it's like, yeah, when you say things, you don't really know who's in the room. And yes. so the best way to nip things in the bud is to all of us be allies for each other. I think that's the fastest way we'll get change. Well said. Yeah. yeah. We didn't even prompt you with that question. <laughs> it's, a, it's a topic that I'm obviously very, I mean, even with, you know, we're, we're hosting the, um, we're hosting an event for out in tech here um, in a couple of weeks. And I really wanted to make sure that time's up is a part of it. And so even though I am an ally for out in tech, I'm also heavily involved with Time's Up and I would really love to see that dialogue be a part of Out in Tech. And as we were talking together with, with folks at Out in Tech, we were noticing like how it's almost like oddly not part of the conversation yet. And so that's the beauty of being an ally, right? Is that you can say, well, let's bring these things together and make these conversations show up in all these different forums. So it just starts to become something that we all care about. And there's, a, I think, an element of bravery going in and saying that I'm going to be this ally and and do this for and and in sort of insert myself, but recognize that I'm just going to be here to listen and to support and to go into other communities. But you are walking into this community not having that identity, so it you know it can be it can be scary. And I think it's helpful to talk about it because I think that there are a lot of um, people that do want to be an ally but are scared to you know go to an event, like an out in tech event when they're not, they don't identify as LGBTQ. So, so I don't, I don't know, I guess it's sort of just about getting over it and just doing it. Well, and again, I think it goes back to kind of those values we talked about in the beginning, right? If you're focused on, again, and this is not, you know, I'm not poking this at you, Rachel, but I think it's an important- Oh, poke at me. It's totally fine. If you go into a room and you're worried about how you'll be defined- then you're going to be fragile and you're only going to be so effective. If you go into a room and you're like, okay, I may not be this and I may not have this, but I do have this, this, and this. So how can I help? It's like, you're not really worried about being judged at that point because you're so focused on like what you can do. And you also, again, this is the humorous side of the absurdity of discrimination and all of this foolishness. It's like, you're going to make mistakes. Like I still remember, and I was super proud of myself for putting turmeric in my smoothies Cause I was like, I'm so, you know, woke and healthy and look at me with my turmeric. And I told my Indian boss that I put turmeric and obviously I'm not pronouncing it correctly. And like, he looked at me and was like, it's turmeric. Like, I mean, you're going to have moments like this. Like we're all going to say things that are just like, that is so embarrassing. Like whatever. In the grand scheme of things, like you're going to make a fool of yourself. You're going to say stuff that you shouldn't say. You're going to think that you're super woke because you heard one of your friends say it. And then you didn't realize that the context was different than the context you're in right now. And you say something stupid. So I think if we can just laugh more at it and call each other out as we should and inform each other, but like focus more on what you can do and less about 
what people are going to say about it, you know? Well, Mary Sharon, I make, I make fun of myself. I mean, well, I put my foot in my mouth all the time. So, and as I get more and more immersed in this space, I'm definitely doing it in a very public way on the podcast. Felicia laughs at me because she knows. <laughs> Live and recorded with a level of permanence that it's very Exactly. I, I wouldn't let Rachel delete something this morning that she said. It was not even bad. <laughs> it was so awkward. I could feel my face just getting redder and redder and redder. And I was like, you know what? I really kind of wanted, I would like to start over. And Felicia was like, nope. I was like, all right, we're just going to put it out there. We're human. We you know? certainly think, are. <laughs> remember, like, I'm half Irish. And I remember being in like, and it's when you talk about like not being allowed to be in rooms or having people be like, what are you doing here? It's like, people don't look at me and typically think that I'm half Irish. And so... <laughs> You know, just walk in and just be you and like have something to contribute. And if you feel that you own a certain affinity group or you're part of something, just be part of it Mm. and be supportive of it any way that you can. I love that. And it really goes in line with our sort of our motto, which is to sort of like embrace your awkward. So it works out really well. I love that. I love that. Embrace your awkward. I'm going to get that in a bracelet. That's great. We're both very awkward. So. Oh my God. We are so awkward. That means that you're not late. You know, you're not in hiding behind labels, which I think is awesome. I'm, I love being around people like that. It's so much fun. Well, good. We're going to hang out. So be on the podcast. Let me know when you're in New York. Yes. April 24th. Putting a plug out there. We're going to be there. Okay. <laughs> um, so I want to know you. Okay. So you're also doing, speaking of events, you're doing the women in innovation panel. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yes. And we actually did the panel, um, but we are working on the podcast oh, right now. Oh, my bad. So sorry. That. See? Awkward um, no, right there. Boom. Plenty of panels, so it's still right. <laughs> um, so the whole idea of women innovation, I love, actually. Um, the founder is one of my coworkers here at RGA, and we've got a few people here at RGA that have kind of been um, helping shape what it has become, which is amazing. And it's about women and innovation. And I think what's great about it is it's very inclusive. So having worked as a woman in tech and often being the only woman in a room, like pretty much always, and and very often being the only woman of color in like an entire building, um, I know it's like being in tech is a way to innovate. Being in creativity is a way to innovate. Being in strategy and in business is a way to innovate. Innovation is one of those things that kind of transcends so many different dimensions and paradigms. And so what's interesting, though, is that women aren't often perceived as innovative. Like Mm -hmm. if you go literally to a bookstore, go to the business section, just take a step back and look at all of the author's names behind like business books and innovation Mm -hmm. books and creativity. It's like shocking to me how women don't seem to be seen as credible in the business world of innovation. Mm -hmm. We think of, you know, the, the tech titans, we think of the obvious people. And we know that's not true for those of us who work with innovation every day and work with major firms and with brilliant people from all different backgrounds and genders. So I think that the whole point of women innovation is like, how do we broaden the conversation around innovation? So it doesn't just feel like it's something that um, innovation consultants do or something that tech people do. Innovation is a, is a way of constantly iterating on something and finding ways to transcend rules and ideas and doing it in a way that's pragmatic, that advances a business. So it's like taking your creativity and applying it towards some type of purpose that's really meaningful and using business as the vehicle to get there. And so how women are doing that every day. So we're trying to do with women innovation is basically elevate the conversation, raise awareness of what innovation really means. And that pretty much all of us could say that we're innovative in certain ways and then kind of 
amplify the voices around women in innovation so that I think we're seen as more of a force um, in innovation. Um, we know that we are. I just don't know that we're seen that way yet mm -hmm. in, in pop culture and in a lot of the business um, magazines and so on and so forth. We don't have CEO Barbie yet. We probably do. It doesn't mean anything. She's ridiculous. Well, <laughs> no, we do. Maybe we do. Gosh, that's Thing. I played with G.I. Joe's and Lincoln Logs as a kid. So. No, really? A lot of Barbies. I mm -hmm. was obsessed with Jem, but that was just me. She was oh, truly yeah. outrageous. Was well, truly outrageous. <laughs> I had a Princess Peach Barbie, but that's my only contribution. <laughs> I think it's great. Again, like we all, we all have something to offer. We all have different experiences. It's all fun. So true. <laughs> So um, tell us, well, actually, before we get into our final question, before the fun stuff, so what I want to learn a little bit more about the innovation panel is, you know, so it already happened, obviously, as we just found out, um, <laughs> and you mentioned a podcast, but what's sort of the vision for that going forward? Are you planning to, to hold the panel again? Like, who um, who's invited? Like, like, what does that look like beyond 2018? Well, definitely follow us on social, Women Innovation, when... Um, so I think what's the the aim that we're going to go with this podcast and with these ongoing series is again it's bringing it's bringing names that we all recognize into rooms with completely diverse women, right? So it's names we will recognize with like someone who's like still an undergrad, right? And so it's like bringing together different types of women very intentionally. Intersectionality is obviously at the foundation of this to talk about like what does innovation mean to you? And so the last panel that we had is actually focused on grit and having studied positive psychology at Penn. Um, I certainly have a strong opinion of what I think grit is and how it serves and how it can also be um, misinterpreted, I think, in certain paradigms. So the whole panel is really focused on, like, what is grit? How do you get it? But I think that we also talked very um, candidly, as I'm sure you'll, you'll hear from people who are there, about the fact that grit and the definition of it today and the way that it is often um, talked about, I think, in in culture is that it's it's potentially the very thing that holds women back. Mm. I don't know a lot of really successful women that aren't really gritty. And I also know that it's not always about grit. And I think that one of the things that I thought was really powerful about the boomers, right, with like Gloria Steinem and like um, Angela Davis and a lot of these women back in the day was that they recognized that there was a system that was broken and needed to be fixed. And so it's not to suggest that we don't need to be gritty. Of course we do. And of course we have to persevere and we have to do so with kindness and all the things that make us great. But we also have to be very open and honest about the system and what is broken within it and how we can change it. And so I think sometimes when people hear like, well, you just need to be gritty. I think that often, especially when it comes down to gender, men are often always perceived as grittier than women, um, almost in like every paradigm that I've seen it and certainly what I've studied. And so when women are struggling, there's often like, well, you just gotta be gritty and you gotta persevere. And I think that that can be damaging sometimes um, because I don't think that it's always just about your ability to be gritty. Mm. Um, and I'm not suggesting that the psychologists behind grit are saying that. I just think that somehow it's getting lost in translation. So mm. our whole last panel was about grit and what does it mean and how do you kind of like when you are reaching the end of that finish line and you're kind of like digging into your well and trying to see what's left um, so that you can keep going, like how do you find that? Like what's your motivation equation? Um, in addition to self-care, how are you engaging with people on a day-to-day -day basis that kind of like builds you up and makes you feel joy and gives you the gas that you need to keep going? So that's what the panel was about last time. And then we're going to have some more panels throughout the year. Um, and I think it, I would love to hear if you guys have ideas on topics. I think it'd be great to hear what people are really talking about now and what's really top of mind now 
um, and make it relevant um, mm. to what the conversation is happening every month or every quarter. So definitely more in store, but it's, it's really about how do you innovate in different ways? I love it. Confidence comes from that knowledge. I love it. And we can ask our listeners if anyone listen, is listening and wants a topic, tweet at us. And I think if we can be tweeting, um, I would love to know, like, what are some of the common misperceptions that people do have around innovation mm. and what does that mean to you? And then who is innovative mm. that, you know, whether it's a boss, one of your best friends, like I would love to have people kind of share, like who is innovative that they see and what makes that person innovative. I love like, in that. Terms of values I love that. And character strengths. I would love to hear that. That'd be such a fascinating dialogue. I love that. And we will throw it out there. We will throw it out there. I want to ask you what, what did you have somebody who's, who's top of mind, who's innovative? Who's your most, I'm going to just ask you, yeah. Who's your most number one innovative person? Oh my gosh. I don't know that I can just answer that <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, I don't think I can answer that. That's one. okay. It's I, too yeah, hard. So, and they're innovative for so many different reasons. Um, yeah, I can't answer that one. That's fine. That's okay. No pressure. Safe I'll space. Forever, and I'll just like, this podcast will just, de- it'll just go into silence. <laughs> um, okay. So should we get to the, to the, uh, the fun standard questions? Yeah, let's do the fun standard. Did I skip anything? Okay. Um, my, the, our number one is what is it out of other than all the things that we just talked about? What is it that you geek out about? Um, I, I geek out about why people do what they do and what holds people back, mm-hmm. like the science of it. Like, mm-hmm. I love to get into the biology of it all because, you know, there's so much research that shows, like, if I, so for example, if we're in a meeting and instead of saying, hey, Rachel, that was a great deck. I'm like, Hey, Rachel, did you notice that when you like spoke up that like three other people did too? Thanks so much for demonstrating that courage because Mm. in doing so, I feel like we really got to a good place in the meeting. Two completely different compliments. One will have a totally different like physiological effect on your body, right? Like when you get a genuine compliment or you experience like genuine joy, your like peripheral vision literally expands. Like you Mm. see more, you hear more, you have more oxygen that goes to the brain, so I geek out about like those little things. Cause like from a marketing perspective, you talk about this stuff all the time with AB testing. So when you apply that to humans, what are those little tweaks that you can do in daily conversations that can like literally make people be their best, like physically and otherwise. I love that. Love that. Fascinates me. I didn't actually, I didn't, I didn't realize that there was that much of a physical reaction to something, a, a positive. I'm so glad I, 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 cause I love giving compliments all the time. So it's nice to know that I'm just walking around the world, just like making people's, you but know, it's also a compliment you're giving though. It's not just giving compliments. Well, no, it's not just saying that they look pretty. It's also, it's about how they. Well, and I think just to tie it back to innovation, right. And, you know, geeking out, like, you know, if you're a kid, it's the same thing with kids, right? So if you say like, Hey, that was a great drawing, that child might say, okay, I'm a good drawer, right? Which right. could lead to a fixed mindset. Like all of a sudden what happens? Ah, uh, yeah, like, totally. But if you say as a description, like, oh my gosh, this photo is amazing. I love what you did with the level of detail. And I love how you, when you start to describe what is awesome about a person in an output, that is a completely different compliment, right? And all of a sudden now I'm like, oh, my, again, my plan B is now me because I have things in me that no one can take away, which lets me be far more risky, far more courageous. And then it goes into the PowerPoint presentation when I'm an adult, like the same thing. But that's, just on a different scale. that's such a wonderful tool for people to just have. That's something that seems so easy to do. I love yeah. that. No more labels. Just use descriptions. Yes. Love a world with no labels. That'd be awesome. Ugh. 
It's so funny because I was actually at um, a bar last night watching some or listening to watching and listening to some live music. And I was talking about um, giving compliments as part of like strategic Hmm. relationship building with different people. And this woman that I was with, who is a teacher of, um, she's a middle school ESL teacher. And she actually said the exact same thing to me. Essentially, she was like, it's not just about getting compliments, but it's about being really specific and descriptive with the compliments that you're giving. Because we're, she apparently in her school, um, she was like, you know, we're taught to be descriptive because that's more effective in the long run when we when we work with the kids so it's very timely that we're having this that's validating <laughs> I love to hear that yeah I think it just I'm more likely to take risks in business and be innovative and speak up for rights and all that when I feel like I have a lot to offer that will probably help me get somewhere if this whole thing blows up you know like I think and it all starts when you're a kid right mm-hmm. it's like what makes you as an individual great not a label that can be given to millions of different people mm-hmm. right okay so who or what inspires you? Um, I am really inspired by people who demonstrate courage um, and wisdom with the concern of others under pressure. So I have a tremendous, I use, I talked a lot about my startup background um, earlier in my career because the people who really inspire me and the values um, that they had were incredible because we were under pressure. Like if we screwed up, we could have all lost our jobs. Yeah. It's really easy to walk into rooms and be nice to people when it doesn't matter, but when everything matters and you still demonstrate courage or you still speak up as an ally and challenge something that someone said, and you go on the skinny branch and there's risk associated. Like I really am inspired by people that just do it anyway. Mm. I'm so inspired by that. I love the skinny branch idea. <laughs> I have a strong visual in my head. Um, so what are some of your core values um, my core values are again, and it sounds corny because I keep saying it, but it's like using what makes me great in service for others, you know, like truly, because I think it's what it all, it's what it comes down to. It's like, what are you contributing? Like what, not that you should have these unrelenting standards and all it's more about using what you have to better someone else's life mm. in whatever capacity that you can, you know, and I, whether it's your job or it's as a friend or it's as a coach, I really, really value um, sharing what you have that is so awesome with other people. Mm. If you could go back in time, what would you tell your younger self? Um, if I could talk to my younger self, it would be to obviously have more fun. I think you'd probably all say that, but I think it's also, again, back to that phrase, like just, have fun going through experiences and seeing what you get out of them and really look for the descriptions, use descriptions yourself and don't, and use descriptions when you're describing others, because it'll just make your relationship so much stronger. It'll, I think, give you such a better foundation. And I think don't worry about the labels. Mm -hmm. I think that especially being like, I know coming of a very multiracial background, dealing with practically all the isms um, at some point, it's so easy to be held back and bothered by labels. And so I wish that I could have just said whether people are giving labels to other people and it makes them great, whether they're taking labels away from you, just don't worry about the labels. That's mm. what I would have told myself. Love it. We're Love so it. much more than labels. We I are. Know, so true. Well, now we have a good title so for, our, we have a good title for our uh, podcast episode being more than labels. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Love um, it. So yeah, t- RGA is some of our labels, so. They, they are, they are, or they're not. Yeah. They are. That was yeah. The, the campaign. Yeah. Love has some labels. I love that. Well, that's so good. Um, so tell us what are you reading right now or what's your favorite book? Ooh, what am I reading? Um, 
actually, I just read um, We're Gonna Need More Wine by Gabrielle Union. I watched uh, I watched every episode of Being Mary Jane and called me and said that she understands me better now. So I didn't know how to take that. So I wanted to, um, I had to watch the show. It's amazing. It's a phenomenal show and it's a phenomenal book. And so I think that I really respect um, Gabrielle Union for sharing as much as she did because I think by, by going there um, with the level of depth and I think by sharing things that weren't always, you know, putting her in the best light, it, I think, again, helped us all as readers and as people talking about it to get more in touch with our own truths mm. and to feel comfortable sharing them. Like there's no judgment. So I mm. thought it was an awesome book and, and definitely an amazing show. So yeah, that's what I just finished reading. Love it. All Sounds right. great. Adding it to the list. Um, so if you listen to podcasts, what is your favorite podcast besides this one? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be honest. Um, I don't listen to podcasts all that often. Um, so I don't know that I really have a favorite. I think that I like podcasts again, where people go there, just like with panels at events. Um, I really enjoy podcasts where they're not scripted and people are willing to actually tell the real truth. So I really can't, I'll tell you what I, what I don't care for in podcasts is when people kind of skip over the tough part. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh, there was this challenge. I like implemented this tip or this trick. And then all of a sudden I got promoted and it's amazing. And it's like, <laughs> well, wait, what happens for real in between? Because that's what I need to know. So I really love podcasts, like the one that we're having right now, where we're having, I think, a very real conversation. Those are the most fun because you actually get something, you really get something out of it. Thanks. I feel really validated right now. And my oxygen levels are higher. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if you have one, do you have a personal anthem or song that you want to share? I also find this a very Mm -hmm. tough question. I know because I love music mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the music I listen to doesn't even have lyrics. Um, most of the music mm. I listen to doesn't have lyrics. Mm. Not really. Mm. I think anything that's a song that's like stand up, like again, I love any type of song that's an actual anthem, you know, whether it's um, Kendall Kumar or it's Christina Aguilera Stronger mm. or it's, you know, Beyonce, pretty much everything that it does. I bet any song that makes you want to stand up and like shatter windows and do great stuff. Like that's my kind of anthem. Even if it doesn't have lyrics, if that's how it makes me feel, that's my kind of anthem. So what you don't listen to most music with, is it that you listen to more classical or electronica or. Yeah. I think that EDM now it's called EDM, but when I was, you know, back in the day, it was like hard house. Mm -hmm. Um, That really hit when I was kind of, when I had just moved to Boston for Mm -hmm. school. And so most of the music I listen to is all electronic. And so that's the music I love. So a lot of it doesn't have lyrics. It has like three lyrics. So it's more about the feeling than it is about the message, I think. I feel you. Which yeah. I love. Well, those are our questions. We did it. Except yeah. for except for where people can find you. Um, you can find me um, on Instagram, Mary Sharon Owens. Um, I'm at MarySharon.com. I'm at email Mary Sharon at Mary Sharon.com. <laughs> so it's pretty straightforward uh, <laughs> if you want to get in touch with me. But, but in all sincerity, I really do, as Rachel, as you know, I love having these types of conversations, whether it's formally through an event, um, it's over drinks, over lunch, over coffee. I'm based in New York. So if anyone's interested in exchanging insights or thoughts, I'm always down for that. Like that is how I love to spend my time. So please. Or if people have ideas, you know, for panels or events or conversations that we need to be having more of in more formal channels, I'm always down to talk about that too. So awesome. please find me. I love having these conversations. They, uh, they give me life. Thank you so much for, for having this conversation with us. You are, this is one of my generic 
uh, compliments. So I'm sorry, but it is true. You are a delight. <laughs> you are <laughs> lovely. <laughs> Thank you both for having me. Thank you. Thanks to all our listeners for spending some time geeking out with us. If you enjoyed listening, please rate and review us on iTunes. Every review helps. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next interview. And tell all your friends. New episodes drop every Tuesday. (laughs) Check us out at She Geeks Out on all the things. And in case you're wondering what those things are, they are Twitter, Insta, FB, otherwise known as Facebook, LinkedIn, and our website, of course. Bye, Rachel. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia.